Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Good afternoon. You're so welcome. Uh, usually when you're well-behaved, it means we have some visitors in the room and uh, you're showing your best side. If you are a guest or a visitor and we haven't met yet, my name's Andy. I'm the senior pastor here. Uh, we do hope you feel very much at home uh, with us. You're so welcome. Um, guys, I just want to highlight one other quick thing. Uh, new is coming up at the end of June. Um, 23rd, 24th, 25th of June, we will be in a field in Newcastle. We will not be here. I have to confess something to you. I don't have my tickets yet. Um, so I feel like a hypocrite every Sunday I stand up and say, get your tickets. And then Nora asks me on the way home, have we got our tickets? And then I say no, and then she gets sad. So my commitment to her is that we will get our tickets this week. Um, sold out, yeah, it's full. I can't go. Um, so we would love you to get your tickets for Nua if you haven't already. The Sunday morning of Nua is free, but you do need to register and registration closes at the end of May, okay? So if you know you're gonna go even just for the Sunday morning, please register. And then one other quick detail, Pentecost, which is Sunday the 28th of May, we're going to be gathering at New as well. That's a free event, okay? So that's going to be a multiple church gathering, you know, worship, pray um, in, the, in, in the field in Newcastle. So you can plan to go for a wander as a family uh, up the Moors, Tullymore, Castle Well, and then meet us in the field for Pentecost. Um, that's going to be loads of fun. So that's new. Get your tickets, sign up. Uh, and all those wonderful things. Um, I wonder today, when you think of who is well off, who comes to your mind? So think of some people in your life uh, and think about who you would define in your life as well off. Um, in this culture, I think uh, we, we typically, when we use the expression well off, usually we're talking about finances, Right? That when we think about that person as well off, even though the reality is almost none of us know anything about anyone's personal finances other than our own. But there are all kinds of indicators that we think, that guy's well off. Look at what he drives. Um, and we can tell. Um, the text that we're studying, we're in the first few verses of Jesus' famous sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. And there's this list uh, at the very beginning of who is blessed um, or another kind of way of saying that is Jesus is speaking to the question, who's well off? And the Beatitudes, these list of blessings are his answer to the question, who is uh, well off? It may surprise you uh, that material wealth doesn't make it onto his list. Like, I wonder what you would think of if you were to think, my life would be better if, like I, I don't know too many of us that wouldn't have, or at least maybe flirt with the idea that like, well, my life would be better if I had more money. Like it's maybe not what our entire hope is in, everything is kind of on that, but I think if we're honest, most of us would probably find ourselves saying something like that somewhere in an honest conversation about what would make our lives better. There's absolutely nothing wrong with wanting to create wealth. That's really, really important that we understand that. In fact, the truth is I, I pray for that all the time. Not really, to be honest, for myself, but for the business leaders in, in uh, this community and in this region, that wealth creation would be something that they get really good at 
really successful at. But the point is this, money is not the enemy, but neither is it our savior. That's where we get a little bit lost when our lives get kind of completely focused on if I just had more money, everything would be better. The question under the surface is, who or what is your hope in? What does blessing actually look like? Who is well off? Under what circumstances would you consider yourself to be blessed? Because these statements from Jesus, they kind of uh, make no sense, I think. <laughs> That's a very Jesus-like thing. That if you spend any time paying attention to the words of Jesus, often there's like a, I, I don't really know how to make sense of that. What does that, what's, what's that actually look like in a life? And one of the kind of doors that we can walk through when that happens is, if we're following Jesus, well, he said it, so I'm supposed to believe it. So sure, I believe it. And, and that's a real problem for us to be formed in his ways because we don't actually understand what he's saying or doing or, or trying to do with and in our lives. Under what circumstances would you consider yourself to be blessed? One of the problems that I see in uh, my pastoral ministry, and it's really difficult when you talk about your pastoral ministry in your own church, because I'm talking about my conversations with you guys, right? So just nudge the person beside you and say, he's talking about you, not me. That'll make this a little bit easier. <laughs> One of the problems that I bump into an awful lot is when we name our blessings or we experience our blessings as curses and we think our curses are blessings. I see this all the time. You may be thinking, what does that look like? What are you talking about? Let me say this, an easy life is a cursed life. That, I mean, that's heresy, right? Because most of us are thinking, isn't an easy life the goal? Like, is that not what we're reaching for? One of the things that happens to me in conversations with people that are trying to follow Jesus more is whenever circumstances get really difficult, life gets really hard and we're in conversation somewhere in that dialogue, a question from an honest heart comes to me which sounds something like, what did I do wrong? Maybe you can relate to that. But when life gets really hard, our first impulse is, gosh, if I had only been praying a bit more, I don't read my Bible enough. If I read my Bible more, then my life would be easier. But the reality is I believe an easy life is a cursed life. How can that be true? Because an easy life is a life without meaning or purpose. The value of a thing is determined by the price you are willing to pay for it. And if nothing in your life costs you anything, then your life has no value. If nothing in your life costs, then there's, there's no value. Dana and I are going to help some friends move house tomorrow. I'm off. <laughs> move a house. The friends that we're helping to move are more valuable to me than a day doing whatever I want. There's a cost to that. There's a sacrifice to it. 
And there's part of me that would rather not help someone move house tomorrow. Like, that's really when you find out who loves you. You're moving house. (laughs) Most of you are terrified to ask people for help when you're moving house in case you find out that no one loves you. See, learning to see properly is such an important part of following Jesus well. It's one of the reasons why we pray every Sunday, God, help us to see what you see. Because whenever our lives are caught up just with how we see things and how the world around us sees things, we start naming things that are blessings in our lives, curses. It's a blessing that there are people in my life that I love enough to give up a day off to go and help. That's actually a blessing. I would far rather that than a life where I don't know anybody. I'm totally on my own. Matthew 5, Jesus is helping us to see what does blessing look like? What do the blessings of God actually look like? And last Sunday, we did a really kind of raw conversation on grief and mourning. And I'll be quite honest with you, I was really nervous about talking about that because lots of you who've experienced intense loss and pain, I was there when it happened. And the last thing I want to do is try to point to your pain and say it's a blessing. But that's what Jesus says. There is a blessing available to us in our deepest place of grief called the comfort of God. That's a blessing. It's a blessing. Jesus is helping us recognize the blessings of God because the truth is sometimes they don't feel like blessings. Sometimes they feel hard. And life is hard. And life is beautiful. That's what I'm chanting with my nine-year-old twins. Life is hard. Life is beautiful. The sooner you pair realize that, the easier all of this gets for everybody. Now take the bins out. This morning we're looking at Matthew 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I think both parts, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, neither really make much sense to most of us. John Acton, the famous politician, historian, and writer, famously said, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. He could not be more wrong. Now, he's much more intelligent than me and has lots of things published, and I doubt I will ever have anything published. But on this statement, I am so convinced he is absolutely wrong. Power doesn't corrupt. Absolute power does not corrupt. Absolutely. Power does something else. It reveals. Power reveals. The more power you have, the more people get to find out what you are really like. I hate that I have to talk about this, but it's a really helpful example. Um, Any parents in the room? If you want to know what you're really like, ask your kids. I wish that wasn't true. See, I like to think that at times my kids get the worst part of me and you all get the best part of me, but that's just not true. 
my kids just get the real part of me. Like they just get the raw part of me. And the reality is, particularly when we have young children, there is a very real power dynamic going on. We are in charge. That's important. It keeps them alive. Had this interaction with the boys. It was just the three of us for the last 24 hours. And uh, things didn't go well leaving the house today. So we had to have a little bit of conversation in the car as we were going. But here's the deal, right? Whenever I say to my boys, we're leaving in five minutes, what they hear is, sometime this week. And then I'm like, time to go. And then they're like, oh, I need to get this and I need to get that and I need to get that. I'm like, what do you think I meant when I said we're leaving in five minutes? And they got angry dad and we processed that a little bit. One of the things I think we don't see correctly in our lives is just how powerful we are. Like we think of our politicians or we think of uh, those kind of secret billionaires that some think are controlling the entire world. We think of them as the powerful people and we're just on the receiving end of all their bad choices and you know, we have every right to complain about all the mess that's kind of going on. We misunderstand all the time just how powerful we are. And if you're wondering, do I have any power? I, I'm not powerful. Like my boss or this other person I know or that guy, they're powerful, but me, not, not so much. Just run this experiment this week, right? Every interaction you have this week, be ridiculously positive and hopeful. Be like outrageously encouraging to everyone that you meet and watch what happens. So first, as this kind of goes on, maybe in work, not tomorrow for those of you that are going to lovely day off, come help me move a house if you're free. But maybe Tuesday, you go into work, somebody asks, how are you doing? Respond with, amazing, great, class, how are you doing? And then point something out that you think they do really well. First thing they'll say is some version of, what did you have for breakfast? But just lean in. None of you are going to do this, but you know, it would be fun. I promise you it would be fun if you did. Lean in. Do the same thing on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And watch what happens as you cultivate an atmosphere of hope and positivity around you. Yeah, there'll be loads of banter. And then people will begin to just linger around you a little bit more. And yeah, there'll be all sorts of stuff, but people will be drawn to you because our words have power. They have power. And if you choose to lean into that, watch what happens to the atmosphere around you. God designed us, destined us to be powerful. This is such a hard thing for Northern Irish culture to accept. Like we'd far rather be the kind of forgotten, weird cousin stuck on the side of a place that can complain about everybody else. Like that's easy life. Pointing out where people have gone wrong, where we're on the receiving end of all sorts of other nonsense. That's so easy. Making peace with the power that God has placed within us and living out of that requires power. Requires us to be in communion 
with the source of all power. Some of you could quote these scriptures to me. 2 Timothy says, For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The Holy Spirit at work within us produces power. Ephesians 6, this is helpful. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Your boss isn't the problem. Your dad isn't the problem. Our political system is not the problem. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. If we are going to struggle properly, we have got to know how to exercise holy power. God made us, longs for us to be immensely powerful, for our lives to be full of power. Why? Well, we'll start with the second part of today's beatitude because it, it, it bends our minds a little bit. Jesus said, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. God is trying to give you the earth as your inheritance. What does that even mean? Like that's properly in that category of Jesus said it, I'm supposed to believe it, but it makes no sense. We'll just move on. For some of you, you're maybe even thinking, God's trying to give us the earth as our inheritance, but the scriptures say the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So is the earth our inheritance or is it his? What's going on here? We need to do a little bit of theology this morning. I uh, hope you don't mind, but it's really, really important. Uh, God set up in the very beginning in the creation narrative and how God designed the world, he set up the original functional power sharing executive. We know all about dysfunctional power sharing executives, right? But in the Genesis accounts, God actually sets up a power sharing form of government in the world. To understand life in Jesus, you need to understand what God is trying to do with you because he's trying to do something with you. That's really, really important. Genesis 1.20, it says this, talking of humans who he's just created. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The original vocation spoken over humanity was to rule over the earth. I wonder how you feel about that. Elbow the person beside you and say, I'm a ruler. Like, we're like, no, no, no. You're trying to catch us out. Jesus rules. We don't. Right? Wrong. The original vocation proclaimed over humanity was that we would rule over the fish in the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God created us to be with him and to rule with him on the earth. Rule over everything. 
Now, for those of you that are familiar with the story, you will be so aware that that vocation gets broken by sin. And we get banished from the garden. And then God enacts what can only be described as a restoration plan. That's what's recorded in the pages of Scripture as God is restoring to humans what he created them for. And we see that playing out through Israel, through Jesus, and now through the church that's moving towards the glorious fulfillment of God making everything new. And if you want to experience the wild ride of Revelation 21 and 22, just read those when you get home as what the story looks like when it reaches his fulfillment. Every time this happens, I wonder, is this the moment we find out the roof is leaking? Listen to Revelation 22, verse three. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will need not the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The last sentence there, it's like, what? And they will reign forever and ever, must be a typo. Surely it should say, and he will reign forever and ever. Or it must be, this is John being a good Trinitarian. He's, He's talking about they in the same way that the Genesis accounts talk about let us make man and women. That's nonsense. Just listen to how the stuff is set up. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. So he's not talking about Jesus or the Holy Spirit. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp. He's talking about us or the light of the sun for the Lord God. They will there. He's just named who he's talking about there. The Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. We were created to rule. It got broken by sin and through Jesus and in its ultimate fulfillment when he returns, we are restored to this place of ruling with God in the earth. When God makes everything new, we will have two jobs. And this is important and it's both recorded in that little passage. To serve God, to worship him, to minister to him, to be caught up in blessing him and then ruling with him in new creation. I don't, I don't know uh, what you think heaven is gonna be like. When I was a child, I thought it was an eternal church service, which just sounded really boring to me. And of course, we don't get much more detail in terms of what it looks like than here that we will reign with him. That yes, we will minister to him, we will worship, we will bless, we will serve him, and we will reign. There is work for us to do for eternity. This is one of those moments where we highlight the fact that we see the world wrong because we experience work as a curse when the truth is it's a blessing. For your hands, your heart, your imagination, your body to produce things is a gift. It's part of created order. What I 
know about eternity is that it will be wildly creative, imaginative, that there will be purpose flowing from our lives as artists and architects. And I don't really understand whether it will be parents or not, but I think there'll be some form of that whole thing going on. We will reign forever. You see, God is not afraid of your power. He gave it to you. He longs for us to partner with him in making his desires come alive around us. That's called reigning with him. We, we confuse this idea of rulership where we think if someone's ruling us, they get the privilege to impose their will upon us. Like that's basically how most of us engage with that word. That if a particular political party is in power, well, they get to basically do what they want to the rest of us. Jesus is the perfect definition of what biblical rulership looks like. As rather than imposing his will, he gives up himself to serve what God has put within us. Just watch how he deals with the disciples as he renames them and as they fail and he restores them as he gathers them to him and says, right, off you go. Everything you've seen me do in the last little while, go do it yourselves. What are you talking about, Jesus? That's your job. Yes, and now it's yours, go. God is trying to put his power in you so that what he imagines and longs for in the world around us would come alive to bring the order of heaven to the chaos of the world. That's what it means to rule and reign with Jesus. To bring the order of heaven to the chaos of the world. That's what it means to inherit the earth. You see, again, we get it all backwards. We think inheritance is getting something that we're going to be, uh, that we're going to benefit from. Well, Jesus reverses that all the time. Think of the parable of the talents where somebody gets like five times two years' wages, whatever that calculates to. That's roughly what five talents is. It's a huge amount of money. Not so that the person could buy a new car or go on a nice holiday, but so they could put to work what they have been given to make more for everyone else. That's what inheritance is for. So when Jesus says you're going to inherit the earth, it's not just so that you can be like, class, look at all the stuff I get. It's so that you can be caught up in this way of life of multiplying the things that God has given you for the sake of everyone else. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This beatitude is really answering the question, who can be trusted with power? And the answer is simple, according to Jesus, the meek. The meek are those who can be trusted with power. Now, what springs to your mind when you think of meekness? Like a lamb, a little Labrador pup. Like maybe this is helpful. Uh, your next appraisal, right? So you're sitting with your boss and it's time for a little bit of feedback. And they say, do you know, like one of the things that we just notice is you're just so meek. Who's going, Yes! 
I don't think any of us were like, what, really? And the follow-on from your manager or boss may be something like, you're so meek, we're going to like sign you up for some personal assertiveness training. Right? Because we think meekness is like shy, quiet, reserved, humble. Like, oh, no, 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 you go first. You go first. Like being a bit of a doormat. So if we want to inherit the earth, we, we just have to kind of lie down more. Like just be less. But God wants to put power in us. So how do we make peace with these things? Well, first thing we have to understand is that description of meekness could not be further from what Jesus actually means. The image that would have sprung to the minds of the people listening to Jesus when he said meek wasn't a puppy, it was a war horse. That's the image. Now, I tried to find a picture of a war horse so I could show you this week, but because of that movie um, that came out several years ago, every picture on Google of a war horse is this kind of slightly odd, intimate picture of a horse and a man, forehead to forehead, which didn't really capture meekness. So for any of you who've watched Braveheart, just remember the scene where they have kind of the spears where they are like about to like devastate a cavalry charge. Like those horses, that's how the people listening to Jesus would have heard meek. These giant animals, fearless, powerful, willing to yield their strength to someone else. That's what meekness is. I, I uh, grew up around horses. Um, they were kind of a bit of a constant in our sort of childhood. My, my grandfather always had horses and uh, one of the things that's really interesting about my grandfather is he was never really drawn to anything or anyone who was well-behaved. Maybe that's why we got on so well. But the first pony he bought for me was a little pony called Ginger. I was like six or seven years old. And thinking back on it now, she was like the opposite of like the first pony you buy for someone. Like there was nothing gentle about her. Like she was wild. I remember the first time... It's one of my earliest childhood memories. He walked me into the stable at their house to see this little pony who was massive in my mind. In fact, she still is like a Clydesdale in my imagination, but it's just because I was so small. The first thing she did when I walked into the stable was literally rear up on her hind legs. I was like, whoa. Like equal parts excited and terrified. Sort of an appropriate posture to the Holy Spirit perhaps. And this really interesting thing happened to me as I learned how to ride her. Like every time she did what I asked, I was amazed. So aware that like my little six, seven-year-old frame, like she could do whatever she wanted with me. And every good horseman, horsewoman knows that the, to deal with horses properly, really you're on a journey of trust. That the more they trust you, the more willing they are to yield to you. This idea of yielded strength is what it means to be meek that we actually have an understanding of the power God has placed within us 
And you only need to look at the devastation in the world to see how powerful humans are. And meekness is us recognizing that strength, that power, that ability to create atmospheres. You know you have an ability to do that, right? If you're unsure of your own ability to create an atmosphere, just ask your spouse. Ask the people that work with you. And meekness is us recognizing that power and putting it under the control of God. Who can be trusted with power? The one whose power is under the control of God. That's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who've taken everything they have and placed it under the control of God for they will inherit the earth. Don't think about worldly position here. Think about holy influence. That's what Jesus is saying. That when we surrender and come under the control of God, our ability to create hopeful, possible, life-changing impact to the places that we work, to the relationships that we're in, to the places that we live, all of that comes alive. The earth is our inheritance, but how under God's control are our lives? That's the question. The earth is our inheritance, but how under God's control are our lives? I wanna finish with a story that I I think... uh, highlights meekness, maybe gives us an example of what meekness actually looks like better than anything I've heard or seen in a long time. James and the band, why don't you guys come back up as we get ready to respond here. I was in uh, Nottingham for a few days this week. We had our uh, Vineyard National Leaders gatherings, a couple of thousand people from all over the UK and Ireland gathering in uh, Nottingham for a few days. I was chatting to a guy who works with the persecuted church in India. I don't know if you knew this, um, but there's just hugely intense persecution going on in India right now, particularly against Christians and those who lead uh, in church over there. And in this particular very rural area, uh, word made it to a pastor of a local church that um, I guess the authorities, powers that be, whoever they were, had decided that they'd had enough and it was time for him to die. And so there was a crowd coming to his house literally to kill him. Uh, they broke into his house. They uh, pulled him out into the street. He he didn't uh, he didn't fight, he didn't resist. Um, just and uh, they were dragging him. Literally, crowd surrounded, full hands full of stones. They were dragging him to a place in the community where they were going to stone him. And as they were dragging him, they were dragging him past this uh, this little boy who was born uh, paralyzed, and he was sitting at the side of the street. And as this guy's on his way to his death. Passed by this little boy who he's known, everyone knows is paralyzed. And uh, being dragged by his feet, the pastor reaches out his hand towards the child and said, in Jesus' name, be healed. And the child stood up. And the crowd stopped. And 
the questions began. Is that really that kid? Can he really walk? What did you do? How did that happen? And the pastor stood up and preached the gospel and many of them received. Now, this is an absolutely stunning story. Absolutely incredible. What, what uh, probably hit me like a ton of bricks was, I don't know if, firstly, people were trying to do that to me, whether I would be willing. And secondly, whether I would have any thought for anyone around me. Like what? On his way out, what he thought was his way out. Seeing the suffering of a child, thinking, well, that is meekness. A life utterly surrendered to Jesus. If you're able, please stand. There's a few things that um, I think we, we should respond to uh, this afternoon, but the first place, at the beginning of every good thing with Jesus is surrender. Where we say for the first time in years, for the first time ever, for some of you, it's just the first time today. And that's okay. It's really important. We surrender, the posture of surrender coming under the influence, the power, the control of God. We're going to start there and Catherine and the guys will, will help us in song to just posture ourselves into a place of surrender and then I'm going to jump up and invite us to, to respond to a couple of things I think the Lord wants to, to do with us. So let's, let's worship for a minute together. Truth is, God has made you immensely powerful. And I, I wonder, um, are there some of us in the room when people like me say that, that your response, like the impulse in your head or your heart is, no, I'm not. That's a problem, especially if you're trying to follow Jesus. And for all kinds of reasons that we don't have time to get into, but the whole idea of repentance has kind of been associated here with like shame. That you should repent for all the bad things you've done. There's truth to that. But actually the idea of repentance when Jesus was talking about it was the recognition that my life was going this way and God interrupted it and now I need to go this way. And that's actually an active thing that we choose to do. It's not something that like just happens to us. And so I wonder, in this moment, do some of us need to repent? Where we resist, where we find ourselves resisting the things that God is saying. Scriptures are so clear. God hasn't given you a spirit that makes you a slave to fear. He's given you a spirit of power, love, self-control. That's what he says. Those aren't my words. 
And so I, I think some of you, just where you are, I'm not gonna call you out to the front, just where you are, you just need to recognize that how I think, the things I say, and the way I live because of that, God's actually trying to do something different with me, with you. It's really simple. Just close your eyes, open your hand. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Release over us the gift of holy repentance. To recognize lies that we have partnered with that have become strongholds in our lives. Release you from powerlessness in Jesus' name. Release you from powerlessness in Jesus' name. live into the fullness of the life of Jesus. And the second thing I, I want to do is for those of you who have been caught up in a kind of atmosphere of negativity specifically about your work. And guys, I, I know there's huge systemic problems in just about every part of our society at the minute. So this isn't about some sort of like, everything's, everything's just gonna be fine if we just believe a bit more, but it is about us partnering with atmospheres of hopelessness where the lie, well, nothing's ever gonna change, becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in our lives. And I think even if it's just for the atmosphere that surrounds our own lives, there's all sorts of stuff that's systemic that maybe you can't speak to, but God can do something with the atmosphere in your own heart and life and the rooms and the colleagues that you relate to. For some of you, your work is your family. And you've just been caught up in an atmosphere of hopelessness this is never gonna change. And if, if that's you as a, an embodiment of, of wanting to go somewhere else, I just wanna invite you to respond and come up to the front. Some of us are gonna pray for you. Um, but it's funny when we think, sing things like, break down the walls of all my traditions, shake up the ground of all my religion, but we stay rooted firmly, like nothing's shaking or breaking. But sometimes we just need to inhabit something different. And so if you're saying, look, I just need to inhabit something different in my place of work, can I invite you just to respond? Come on up. Um, we'd love to pray with you. Uh, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Give us an atmosphere of possibility that it would infect the hallways, the offices, the wards, the kitchens. Father, I pray that we would be carriers of possibility, holy possibility, 
that you would release us from feelings of inadequacy or of impossibility. That into our schools and hospitals, surgeries, offices, council buildings, our very homes, that we would carry an atmosphere of hope and possibility. Fill us, Holy Spirit, we pray. Fill us, Holy Spirit, we pray. receive you and we receive what you want to do Lord, we just pray that you would bless us to live differently from the culture around us. That you would make us meek. Surrender to your plans and purposes. Would you send us in power to serve those who we encounter this week? Jesus.